0: If you have your Bible this morning, either on a digital or a physical Bible, turn with me to Numbers chapter 11. I want to thank our online audience for being with us today. Reach out to you guys. Thanks so much for joining us in service today. Appreciate that so much. Thank you all for again being here today with us. I'm going to get right into the word. My father passed away about uh, five years ago in 2016. My dad loved clocks. And Growing up in a home full of clocks, I didn't realize most people don't have as many clocks on the wall and around the house as we did growing up, but it was kind of neat. You see up there a cuckoo clock, that's from Japan. My dad was stationed in Japan for a little while working. uh, He was in the army working for the CIA, doing some secret, you know, secret stuff. But he purchased this cuckoo clock in Japan, and it cuckoos. It's incredibly old, and, and, and it's really neat. But uh, um, we have grandfather clocks and little clocks that chime, and all over our house growing up, every quarter of the hour, it would, it would chime and make all kinds of noises. And I just thought everybody knew that. But at times, one of those clocks would kind of break, and it wouldn't be working right, and Dad would put some oil on it, and it would start working, or sometimes he would have to take it to a clocksmith, and, and, and they would have to work on it and, and get it back up and running, and then, sure enough, we would have it back in our home. So clocks. Just put a thumbnail on that right there. February 10th, as Pastor said, kind of was my anniversary. I've been here for 13 years. I've been part of this body of believers for over 27 years. Nicole and I came to this congregation only being married for two weeks. And this time we were located in the Bethany area. Nicole wanted to finish her school. She had started at Eastern Nazarene University. So what drew us to the Bethany area is Southern Nazarene University. And some amazing things over the last 27 years that I've been part of this congregation, some amazing things has happened to all of you that have been with us for that many years and since then. Some amazing things. We've seen right here, people get saved in these altars. We've seen people who have messed up marriages, messed up families, be restored and set free from all of their problems in their lives and issues that are going on. Just a few weeks ago, during worship, right over there, we saw six people get baptized. Amen, church. Amen, church. I've been to baby dedications here. I've held babies on this stage. We've dedicated numerous babies on this stage. People have gotten married in this auditorium for many years, and they're still married today. Amen. So we were part of this congregation for about six years, and I felt the call of the Lord on my life. You've kind of been unctioned by the holy spirit to go and do something you kind of know what that's like and i kind of was pushing it aside and pushing it aside and i kept talking with pastor about it and he shared his experience about going into the ministry and so nicole and i decided to take the leap of faith we kind of sold most of everything that we had and we let go and we went down to southwestern i didn't i quit my job in here in oklahoma city nicole quit her job And we left everything that we had and we went down to Southwestern. We rented a house. I didn't even have a job. I don't even know how they rented me a house and didn't even have a job. That doesn't make sense. But I rented that house and within a few days I got a job. Started school. Started school and and helping out. I have a church ministries degree. I worked with the media department down there for volunteering for your hours as a student. And within six months after being there, they offered me a job. So now I don't have to drive 30 miles to go to work every day. I could be on campus as a student and go to work. It was, it was phenomenal. God is awesome. During that time, Nicole and I lived off of peanut butter and jelly and, and soup at times, You know, trying to make it happen. I don't know how we made it all happen and today I don't know that I would be that (laughs) bold and go and do all that anymore but in the spring of 2007 I graduated and after graduation Pastor Brooks was also instrumental in helping me find another job here in Oklahoma City I worked for a sound video and lighting company and I traveled with them all over the nation for about a year but it never really got across to me that I was a part of ministry. I, I installed sound, video, and lighting in these huge megachurches all over the country. I can remember meeting with Pastor one more time, and I said, Pastor, I, I just I need to be involved in, in some type of ministry. And so for the next month or so, we kind of worked it out, and he offered me a job here at Christ's Legacy. One of the things I remember him saying was, we're going to try this. For a month. And he said it several times to me as if it, you know, are, we're going to try it for a year and, and let's see how this works out. I guess he was setting himself up, you know, for success later on if it didn't work out. So 13 years later, we're still trying this thing out. 2020, how many want to forget the 2020 year, right? 2020 was a little overwhelming for for any of us, for most of us, for all of us. 2021 hasn't really started off that great either, has it? Maybe we're trying to forget that record cold temperatures. I think from Tuesday to Tuesday, there was 80 degrees difference. That's that's pretty significant. I lost electricity at my house. I lost the water at my house for a couple of days. Do you kind of feel this sense of like maybe what's going to happen next? We've lost people in this congregation over the last year. We've lost people to death, to COVID, to different things all around us, your friends, your family, your neighbors. We lost a, a kind of a significant Christian. Everybody remember the guy named Carmen? Carmen. You know, he passed away. Human videos would not have happened in the 80s and 90s had it not been for Carmen. We lost Rush Limbaugh. I got to stay apolitical in the pulpit, but we lost some great people. There's kind of a sense of what's going to happen next. What is, what is tomorrow going to look like? And everybody's just, you know, every morning you kind of wake up and say, is it going to happen today? What, what kind of crazy thing is going to come across the news today? You wind up getting focused maybe on things that are happening here and right now and trying to be faithful to maybe the house of the Lord or to your, your, your ministry, that everything that you're a part of. But what does tomorrow's potential look like? You start surviving and stop dreaming. And some of us have stopped dreaming so big. It has nothing to do with heartache. It has nothing to do with maybe things that are going on around us or heartbreak or hardship. Or we start dreaming and asking some really good questions. What if we stopped looking at the possibilities and things that are going around us and we've just gotten satisfied with the status quo of happenings? we completely satisfied with the number of people, maybe that are coming into the house of the Lord. Maybe we're satisfied with how many missionaries that Christ's legacy supports. Or maybe we're just satisfied with the relationship that we have with God. The thought of a deeper relationship with God, the more devotion, I don't have time to do that. I'm worried about here and now, not so much tomorrow. My time in in the word and my time in prayer has been taken up by watching the news or things going on around me. I can't find enough time to have that intimate relationship with him who is more than able. Greater passion, tears and love and fire in our soul. We're just happy with just a little bit of dabble, do you? We come Sunday morning and we're satisfied with that. Have you ever tried to walk up an escalator And it going in the wrong direction I can remember being a teenager And I was with a group of guys at the mall We were scoping out the girls And we were standing there And somebody said, hey, somebody run up the escalator that's coming down And so there I was, I took off running I started running up that escalator And I got people going up, you know, the normal way right beside me I get about halfway, run out of breath And then I start going backwards again I didn't have enough steam to make it all the way up I think when you get satisfied, you begin to go backwards. Ever felt that backwards movement? The minute you stop, you start losing ground. And the same is true in life. Dreams and passions are fueled by healthy discontent with the status quo. An annoying dissatisfaction with the normal is necessary for spiritual growth church. When people get satisfied, they start protecting the comfortable, and the comfortable is the enemy of more. You won't seek more of God when you're comfortable. You won't sacrifice to build the impact the kingdom when you're completely comfortable. You won't let go of what's good in order to lay hold of what's best if you're comfortable. My thoughts this morning as I was preparing this week for this message, I became convicted I, came, I became convicted about being satisfied with the status quo. I was inspired to believe the promises for God in my life 20 years ago when I went to college as I was preparing. The more I think about this, the more I'm challenged to start praying some audacious prayers for things that I haven't been praying for. A moment ago, I, I spoke to you about the clocks in my home. I love these clocks. My mom gave me one of those clocks. I love it, I cherish it. It was given to my dad for him being at work for 30 years and not ever missing a day from 1960 to 1990. But what does it take for a clock to work? You see this picture of a clock and the internal workings? How easy is it to tell time today? Maybe you just flick up your wrist and you see what time it is. Maybe there's a clock on the stove or the microwave, and how easy is it to look at that? You have clocks on your walls in your house, and I recently asked Nicole, Nicole, could you put a clock somewhere in the bathroom? And as I'm taking a shower, I want to be able to view the clock as I'm taking a shower because I'm in a hurry every morning trying to get ready for work. Anybody else that weird? Sorry, I'm just strange. I'm concerned about time. We only have so many minutes in a day, so many hours. There are two kinds of people in this world. There are time tellers and there are clock builders. Turn to your neighbor and say, are you a time teller or a clock builder? a time teller and a clock builder. You got to decide which type of person you're going to be. It's easy to tell time. You just flip up your wrist. You, you grab that phone and you press that button and you know what time it is. But only a few people can actually build something that tells and keeps time. Telling time is as simple as arithmetic, right? clocks building is advanced engineering. Time tellers really don't care about the details. All they want to know is what time is it. There's a world of status quo that they live in. The entire lives are driven by the moment and the pace of their life is set by someone else's cadence. Christ's Legacy Church told you what time to be here today, right? Your boss may tell you what time to be at work and what time to go home. Your wife may tell you what time dinner is going to be ready. Your life is controlled by someone else's cadence. If it's they're satisfied with the status quo, come and go with me with a couple of thoughts here. Clock builders think differently. They march to the beat of a different time. They're not bound by the challenges of the moment. They're willing to stop and ask the what-if questions about the future business as usual is never found in a clock builder's vocabulary when you look at biblical history there are historical events of both time tellers and clock builders think about it noah for instance noah's building project brought plenty of skeptics those skeptics were time tellers They were more interested in the time than the clock that Noah was building. Moses was a clock builder who led a nation of time tellers into the promised land. Twelve spies went to scout the promised land. And when they returned, ten time tellers told about what they saw. But Caleb and Joshua built a clock. When Nehemiah was rebuilding Jerusalem's walls, he was mocked by the time tellers of his generation. The Pharisees were experts at telling time. John the Baptist gave his life as a martyr, and he built the clock. Martha was busy telling time while Mary sat at Jesus' feet building a clock. Paul was a clock builder, and he urged urged his young protege, Timothy, to stop looking at the clock and build the clock. Esau, Barak, King Saul, Ananias, they all mastered the art of telling time, but Timothy quit watching the clock and built the clock. Jacob, Deborah, David, Stephen, are all ones who built the clock. Clock builders challenge the status quo. They're willing to turn up the volume, and when you look at the life of a clock builder, Passion and risk often blur the lines of what's between faith and what's foolishness to man. A clock builder will sleep and eat less and will dream and do more. Clock builders are willing to swim in the deep end and they're fueled by the characterized by two things, passion and risk. Those are two things that separate daydreamers from day makers. Passion is what the great ones have and risk is what the successful ones take. Quitting is one thing that a clock builder just can't get the hang of. It's not in his vocabulary. With all this in mind today, I want to talk to us collectively as a church. I want to talk to us as a corporate body of believers. I want to talk to you as an individual to challenge you. I feel like that I've reached a point where I'm satisfied with the status quo in my heart. I've seen tragedies. I've seen things that hurt me in my life. And sometimes an impossible situation has robbed me of my faith, excitement, and things about my future and my hope, and things that I want to happen in the future, but I feel like it's robbed with the status quo of what's going on. Regardless of the mountain, That we're about to climb in our lives and things that are going on around us regardless of how i've been backed into a corner with things going on i think the 11th chapter in the book of numbers has some insight for us today so let's read verse 1 chapter 11 now when the people complained it displeased the lord for the Lord heard it and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the land. Then the people cried out to Moses. And when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of the place Tabra, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Tabra The word literally translates as a place of burning because the fire from the Lord had burned among them. So it's pretty obvious in the opening chapter of of 11 that numbers that God is more than a little frustrated with these children of Israel. The nation is ungrateful. They're complainers. In the verses that will follow, you'll see God has an answer to an impossible prayer request. God does the audacious in response to an impossible prayer request. And when God responds, he responds for two reasons. One, to provide a miracle of provision. But secondly, he responds in a dramatic proportion. That's a, a literal act of judgment because of their complaining and they wishing that they are all still in Egypt as slaves. It's kind of ridiculous. You, as you read this, you see how many times that they, they wanted to go back to Egypt. And here again, they're wanting to go back to Egypt. And he responds. God responds in a powerful way that it's an act of judgment. In the same way a parent would respond to a wayward child. My brother is about 12 years older than me. He kind of was already grew up before I kind of had a reality about what was going on in my family but my mom and dad tell a story about him as they were on vacation one time. He wanted something so bad and he kept asking for it. He wanted a Whopper from Burger King. I'm gonna talk about food in a couple of minutes, so hopefully you don't get too hungry. But he wanted this Whopper so bad. I guess he had heard the advertisements or something. Dad, I want a Whopper, I want a Whopper. And he, he kept intensely asking about it. And my dad finally said, you want a Whopper? I'm gonna give you a Whopper. So they went to Burger King, they got the Whopper and they, he started eating it. And my dad knew that the little boy would never be able to finish the Whopper. So they wrapped it back up. And for the next three days, my brother got to eat the Whopper. You're going to see in scripture, I think we're going to come through this, that I believe that God is acting that same way to the children of Israel. We've been there as parents. You want something, young man? You're going to get it. Let's read in verse 4. Now the mixed multitude. I looked that up, and all it means is that there were people that weren't the Israelites were with them as they were traveling. I didn't realize that there were people with them. So the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to the intense craving. Pastor says, show me your crowd. I'll tell you your future right there. That's a crowd of people around these Israelites. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? Sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish. Which we ate freely in egypt the cucumbers the melons the leeks the onions and the garlic But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes Let's skip down to verse 10 Then moses heard the people weeping throughout the families Everyone at the door of his tent and the anger of the lord was greatly aroused. Moses also displeased So moses said to the lord. Why have you afflicted your servant? Why have I found, not found favor in your sight? You have laid the burden of all these people on me. Let's pause for a moment right there. That's a leader hearing complaining from the people. And now they're trying to figure out what to do. As a pastor in this church, I know what that's like. I know what that's like. Verse 12, did I conceive all the people? Did I beget them and you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian, carries nursing child to the land, which you swore to the fathers where I am to get meat to give to all of these people for they weep all over me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to bear these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me, man, he's carrying a burden here. We need to pray for our leaders, church. We need to pray for them. You don't know what they're going through, but we need to pray for our leaders. Let's skip down to verse 18. Here's the promise. Here's what God's gonna come back to them. Then you shall say to the people, he's telling Moses, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat it. You shall eat it. Not one day. Not two days. Not five days. Not ten days. Not twenty days. But for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have despised the Lord is among you. Having faith. God is something that we all say we do right do these children of Israel really act like they have faith in God at this moment in time they're receiving manna every day all they got to do is go out and get it that's a miracle in itself maybe in your own life you've received miracles from God and you haven't recognized it's a miracle to even wake up in the morning sometimes it's a miracle to have a roof over your heads. You know it in your life. You know that you're living the right way. But to maybe your friends and family, they hear about you going to church on Sundays, and it may seem foolish to them that you're doing acts of worship to God. Having faith in a kind of God maybe may look like foolishness to the people outside of church, outside of religion, outside of who your realm is, but we need to be faithful to God. Who doesn't understand God? They don't understand what you're going through. They don't understand your faithfulness to him. It looks foolishness to them, but maybe you've got a lot of junk inside of you, and you're trying to get over it. That's partially what faith is. It's a willingness to look foolish sometimes, Here's my biblical examples of this. Noah looked foolish building an ark in the middle of a desert. The Israelite army looked foolish marching around around Jericho's walls blowing trumpets. A shepherd boy looked foolish charging a giant with a slingshot. The wise men looked foolish tracking stars to nowhere. Peter looked foolish getting out of a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and the Son of God looked foolish surrendering himself to the hands of mere men. But look at the results, church. Noah was saved from the flood and his whole family. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down and David defeated Goliath. The wise men discovered the Messiah at the end of that star. Peter walked on water. Jesus defeated death and was crowned king of kings and lord of lords. Foolishness is something that Moses was very familiar with. For Moses, he was safe on the outside, but it looked like foolishness to everyone else. I mean, can you imagine how foolish it must have been and how it felt to leverage whatsoever to go to a leader of the known world and demand that his slaves go free? Pharaoh had slaves. They were building the empire for Pharaoh and the audacity of Moses to come and look foolish and ask, let my people go. Pharaoh's gonna let them go like, that's crazy. Full of faith is what Moses was. Pharaoh demands, and here's the demands. Let my people go. You see, I I mean, if you can imagine how foolish it must have been from Moses when they had finally let them go, and there he was barricaded between the armies of Pharaoh and a body of water, and he raised his hand and asked God to split the waters. How foolish he must have looked, but when the waters decided to start to part, he was triumphant. A feeling in that moment in that moment stands up in numbers 11 and he cries out to god provide meat for my people but the issue here is not about the miracles it's not about the relevance of the conversation that we're having today is not about egypt and the israelites it's not about all of that the reality today for us is moses's willingness to look foolish in the eyes of man It's that faith that looks foolish and sets all of the epic miracles into motion. Had there not been somebody willing to lay everything on the line, the reputation of everything else, the name of faith to look foolish, those miracles would have never been set into motion. Walking in faith when God doesn't make sense feels foolish. The more impossible the situation, the more foolish you are going to feel. But you're never going to walk on water unless you're ready to get out of the boat. The walls of Jericho are never going to fall unless you walk and blow your trumpet. You're never going to find the greatest adventures of your life unless you're willing to look foolish in the eyes of man. If God is truly telling you something, in order to experience a miracle, you have to take risk. The greatest chapters of history all begin with someone taking a risk. The greatest chapters of your life begin the same way. If you're unwilling to risk your reputation, you'll never build a boat like Noah. You'll never walk on the water like Peter. You can't build God's reputation unless you're willing to risk your own reputation. There comes a a moment when you gotta make the call, when you gotta move. There comes a moment when you've got to make a move. And there comes a moment when faith is going to be set in. But there's an action. There is an action of obedience associated with something that God has asked you to do to trust Him, to trust in Him. When you you start trusting in Him, you set it all in motion. The question is are you going to be a time teller or a clock builder? Are you going to watch history or are you going to make history? In Numbers 11, Moses learned this. If you don't take the risk, you forfeit the miracle. I was thinking back on all the times that God has asked me to lay it all on the line. It's risky even preaching a message like this. Nicole and I moving to Waxahachie. We had a few dollars in our pockets. We were eating peanut butter and jelly and and soup cans. Within six months... The school offered me a job. Had I not worked hard, had I not laid it all down, I never would have had that opportunity. I learned things at that university that I never would have learned outside of there. I didn't have to drive long distances any longer to go to work. That was great. I was already on campus and classes were there. I could just go, it gave me more time to study becoming satisfied with the status quo, you don't get to trust God when you take a step of faith. Sometimes I want to be that kid again, but at 47 years old, it's difficult to be that kid again. I have way too many responsibilities now. I have children that I didn't have before, but I think God is trying to teach us to take the step of faith. It wasn't an earthquake that got my attention when I was young. It wasn't water being parted that got me interested in going into ministry, but it was a whisper. I had spent time with the Lord. I knew his voice. I knew his whisper. I knew his calling. There were days that I wanted to go and wanted to go, but everything in me said not to go. But I leaped. I jumped. I took the step of faith. If you don't take a risk You forfeit the miracle. Here's the context of Numbers 11. After 400 years of slavery, God delivers the Israelites out of Egypt. 400 years they have been slaves. Generation after generation after generation. But here's what the history has proven. It's harder to get Egypt out of the Israelites than to get the Israelites out of Egypt. Think about that, church. Despite the memories of slavery, despite the, the abuse from Pharaoh, despite the living, the testimonies of God's miraculous deliverance, all they wanted to do was go back to Egypt. It's miraculous what God was doing for them. All they want to do is go back. Numbers eleven four. 4. Read this one more time with me. Now they mix multitude. Who were among them, yielded to intense cravings So the children of Israel also wept again and said Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic You're talking about selective memory, church I mean that the Israelites are longing and reflecting on free fish in Egypt Do you know why the fish was free in Egypt? It's because they were slaves. Pharaoh was creating and had been killing the Hebrews for many, many years. It's one of the first accounts of genocide for generations, yet all they can think about is (laughs) meat's not on the menu. It's a little ironic to me that the righteous are complaining about one miracle, manna. While they're asking for another miracle, for God to put something else on their plate, they're complaining, before we get too critical on these people, may you examine your heart. May the Holy Spirit do some miracle inside of you and cause you to think about the things that you're satisfied with. I don't have time to make those comparisons. Let the Holy Spirit do that inside of you God doesn't just promise a one course meal for one day for these people. He promises meat for a month and Moses really can't understand how God's gonna do it. Listen to what he says in 21. Moses says this, "'The people who I am among are 600,000 men on foot. "'Yet you have said, I will give them meat "'and they may eat for a whole month. "'Shall flocks or herds be slaughtered to them?' To provide enough for them, or shall the fish of the sea be gathered together for them? To provide enough for them. Moses is a man's man. When the numbers don't add up, two and two is not four. It doesn't make sense to me. I, I it has to add up for me, and he's sitting there thinking uh quint can eat a lot of food <laughs> kevin can eat a lot of food i know this guy can uh chris can eat a lot of food i i know that guy uh scott well he don't eat as much as Quint and kevin but but this just ain't adding up here come on god what 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 are you gonna do god How are you going to do all of this, God? We've all been there. The numbers aren't adding up. So I'm trying to figure out how am I going to go to school? God, how am am I going to pay for this? And by the way, I don't have any debt for education. Hallelujah for that. If the Lord requires it of you, he will make a way. Nicole and I have learned this over time. To lay it all on the line, let God do what he's going to do. Don't forfeit the miracle, church. If you're being told something by God and it's truly from God, analyze it, test it out in your heart. There's a miracle on the other side of obedience. I guarantee you, our greatest miracles, the greatest experiences that we've ever had, because God sees your obedience. Our obedience was criticized when we went to school. There were people that told us we're crazy. I had another youth sponsor at the time. She came to me crying, tears in her eyes, and said, I wish I could do what you're going to do. Sacrifice, church. Sacrifice for the Lord. So what the step of faith do you need to take and awaken a dream that's been birthed inside of you? Numbers 11, 31. Now a wind went out from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp. About a day's journey on the side and about a day's journey on the other side. That's a circle. You go from one point to another, you go from another point to another location, that's a circumference. Think about that for a moment. All around this camp, two cubits, Above the surface of the ground, above, and the people stayed up all day, all night, and the next day they gathered quail. And he who gathered the least amount of quail, ten homers, it says. A homer is a measurement. I'll explain that in just a moment. They spread it for out from themselves all around the camp. The quail stopped falling, and the Israelites started gathering. Each Israelite gathered no less than 10 Homers. Multiplied by 600,000 men equals 6 million Homers. Pastor Dave, what's a Homer? I've seen the cartoon. It's not what we're talking about. It's roughly 200 liters. A Homer is 200 liters. Assuming the quail were of an average size, It rains somewhere in the neighborhood of 105 million quail on the children of Israel. 105. What that tells us, when God performs a miracle, he doesn't just do it in a dramatic fashion. He does it in a dramatic proportion. Pour out your spirit today, O Lord, on this church. Now here's the key to this whole thing. Remember that I said in the beginning that God was doing partly a miracle of provision, partly to prove a point. It was some way of an act of judgment. But what it does to us is it shows our God is a big God. If he's willing to do this in response to the request, and here's what a different version of the Bible talks about it. When it's talked about the complainers, it called them rabble rousers turn to your neighbor and say are you a rabble rouser i like that word rabble rousers next time somebody starts complaining i'm gonna say don't be a rabble rouser don't be a rabble rouser if god is gonna pour out hundred and five million quail on a people who are complaining what do you think he would do for a corporate body of people that are pure in heart, pure in spirit, simply wanting the spirit of the Lord to be poured out upon them. I want to simply agree in prayer that his will be done on this earth. Amen? Come on, church. Amen? Moses would have never anticipated. He couldn't anticipate what God was about to do. It was unpredictable. It was unprecedented. It took guts to do what Moses did. He asked for it. To stand in faith and to risk his reputation on everything before this people. When you stand on what God has promised, even when it doesn't make sense, you never know how God is going to respond, how he's going to pour out something on you. When you pursue God sized dreams and pray in faith to God to do the impossible. Always, when you stop seeking the problem, you start seeing the possibilities of our God. When you begin to pray audacious prayers, is there a promise that you need to stand on today? I know that there is. Maybe for your marriage, maybe for your kids, maybe for a season or a stage of life that you're in, you don't see had the possibility, how it's going to come about in this season of life, or maybe there's fear overcoming you at night as you lay that head on the pillow, God has put something in your heart to pursue. You need to stand on the promises of our God. You can't let the word quit get into your vocabulary. In this story, before the quail storm ever appears on the radar, God asked Moses a question. And the more the question that I thought about this as I read through this, it's an answer that only has yes or no to it. And let's read it in Numbers eleven twenty three. And I'm reading a little bit of different version, the New King James. Moses has doubted everything. How are you going to do this, God? And God responds, is there any limit to my power? Is there any arm that God can't reach out to? An obvious answer is no. God is an omnipotent, all-powerful being. There is nothing that God cannot do. Yet many of us pray as though our problems are bigger than our God. A.W. Tozer writes this. He says, Believe in this that if you have a small limited view of God, it will cause a hundred lesser evils in your life. But if you have an elevated view of God in your life, that your elevated view of God, seeing God for as big as he really is, that will solve 10,000 other problems in your life. If that's true, church, if that is true, and I believe that it is true, then our biggest problems isn't about impending divorce, it's about a business failure, it's not about a doctor's diagnosis. And don't get me wrong, those are big issues and big problems in people's lives. But our issue today, I want you to gain a godly perspective on your problems that you need to ask yourself the question, is my problem bigger than God? Or is God bigger than my problem? Our biggest problem is our limited view of God. It caused a thousand lesser evils in our lives. God is asking you today, is there any limit to His power? Have you answered that question? Are there only two answers, either yes or no, until you come to that conviction in your heart. God's grace, God's power, knows no limits in our lives. Is he bigger? than an MRI diagnosis? Is he bigger than that negative evaluation that the doctor has given to you? Is he bigger than a secret sin that you're battling each day? Is he bigger than that dream that you're carrying in your heart, but yet fear won't let you pursue that dream? Is he bigger than anything that you've come up against and faced? When God says there is no limit to his power, it's true, church. The size of your prayers depends on the size of your God. If God knows no limits, then neither should our prayers. When you pray, a call comes down to the answer to this question. Is there any limit to our God's?